four years ago, I came into the awareness that past trauma, past pain, were not dis- designed to destroy me. It was actually preparing me, bringing me into awareness so I could empathize and feel and, and begin to as- uh, assimilate with environment and with people and with association so that I could serve them at the level that they needed me. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner. And it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. A very busy news week, a lot going on uh, in the world since our last episode. And I believe today's guest uh, will give us a lot of perspective uh, that, that many of us don't have. My guest is Natalie Taylor, and she's a life architect and transformational coach who transformed her own life from being homeless at the age of 14, living in Jamaica, to graduating college in the United States, working on Wall Street. She's fought with imposter syndrome, we're gonna get into that, her entire life, along with the thought that she was undeserving of the success she's created. She's now on a mission to help women succeed in their financial lives, experience positive self-worth and build confidence. She teaches women how to dominate areas in their lives where they have felt small or overlooked by mastering their mindset, creating and leveraging powerful and consistent habits to help them own their time and take up space while waking in their authentic flow. She's also an expert on the following topics, how to create a blueprint for success in any area of your life. Please welcome Natalie Taylor. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here on Claire Choices. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. So where, where, where are you located today? Where are we talking to you from? I am coming to you live and direct from Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. How are, how are things over there right now? Oh, North Carolina. I, Charlotte has like the most beautiful weather. And I think it is just, you know, I was telling a friend earlier, we don't really have a winter winter. and We don't really have a summer summer. It's always spring or fall here. So it's, it's beautiful. And I live in the suburbs. So it's really, you wouldn't know what's going on on the news. Let's just say that. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's, you have a little bit of, of peace and reprieve from some of the news that we're, uh, some of us allow us to be impacted with. So you've got a very unique story and uh, we have a lot to unpack in, uh, in a short amount of time. So let's just start with, you know, your, your, your younger years, you know, you were, you were homeless, uh, you've, you've been in foster care, you've had some significant challenges that a lot of us can't even um, really relate to. So talk to us about that. So, yeah, so it started with uh, the age of six. My mom gave me away to a stranger uh, who I'd never met before that. And, you know, I was talking to someone today who reached out to me for coaching and her son-in-law enrolled her for coaching because he saw her struggling with family members. And I was beginning to help her understand that a lot of the things that we're going through now started when we're younger. So my issue with abandonment, my issue with rejection, my issue with different things started at six. And then at 14 was a pivotal year where I became homeless because my biological mother 
who um, had given me up was having a lot of um, mental challenges and that was affecting the home that I was living in. And so here it was, all the adults couldn't figure it out. Kind of like the world we're in right now, right? All the people who are supposed to make the decisions to protect us and cover us, they can't. And so I had to kind of grow up very quickly and um, begin to make my own choices. So, so how was that for you? I mean, I, I can only imagine how hard it was, but as a, as a young teen, what, what are you thinking? How, are you thinking, thinking strategically? Or are you just in, locked in fear? Like, how would you describe your mindset? It's definitely a combination, right? If I can think back to that time, to be honest, it's, it's strategic as best you can, right? Uh, the truth is, I grew up uh, lower middle class, but my mom was from extreme poverty. So when I um, became homeless, suddenly I was not from that world. I went to Anglican school and private school and I played sports. And so even though we didn't have a lot of money, uh, we didn't have issues with hunger. We didn't have issues with not having electricity and not having water. And suddenly I was homeless. So I had all of those issues at once. So um, the thing was, yes, it was strategic as best a 14-year-old could be strategic, which was go to my friend's house and pretended that I, oh, look at the time. I can't leave now. It's too late. Or go to my friend's house for a long weekend. So I did that for as long as possible. And then I had to figure out, okay, um, I can't keep doing that. So I, I actually started working in wholesales and started working um, odd-end jobs on the weekends and whenever they would allow someone my age to work. And um, that's where I got money. And so it was like survival instinct. It was really just a whole lot of surviving. Definitely no thriving was happening. And, um, and so I was exposed to the elements, exposed to the human elements and to the elements that comes with being homeless. So I, I have two questions for you around all those challenges you experienced. So first of all, you know, you're a, a, a young girl, you're finding places to live, you're finding places to earn money, you're finding ways to cope with this mess that the adults have created. Are you finding joy ever? Oh, no, I actually did not ever had any form of joy. I didn't even know what that, you know, felt like until recently, to be honest. I remember when I finally got here to the US and I started being exposed to my second foster mom who was the head of the USAID at the time, that's why she was in Jamaica and that's how she met me. And um, you know, I would go around them and her family, now she's white, her husband is white, their children from his other marriage is white. They're, most of their friends are white. And culturally it just seemed like, okay, these people are happy and joyful because they're white. Everybody else, my friends who were rich because I went to private school, their families were also, um, they had a lot of money and a, a lot of education. So I also assumed that because they were rich and they were very educated, that's why they were happy or joyful. So I started to think poverty was what made my situation sad. I started to think um, race and poverty and community that I was born into was why I saw people murdered and killed and why I saw so much violence. But I didn't understand that you could actually create a space within you uh, to experience joy where the world, um, it doesn't matter what's happening on the news. It doesn't matter what's happening in your bank account this week where you can actually have consistent joy. Didn't understand that. Well, I love that. And if you're, uh, if you're able to help people do that with your transformational coaching, sign me up. Cause that's, I think that's a, I think that's a battle we're all 
always trying to perfect. And it's different for all of us, right? Like my, my unhappiness or challenges or what I consider to be joy might be some different level of extreme than someone else's, but it's still my reality. The other, the other question I wanted to ask you is, you know, as you were talking about, you know, poverty and hunger and, and kind of this imposter syndrome, it made me think of my parents who, um, as I think, you know, were Holocaust survivors. And when, when people go through a trauma like the Holocaust, and, I, and I'm sure much like what you went through, you know, if they were, if food was a scarcity item for them, it's all, it, it's always lives on for them, usually as a, a scarcity mentality around food or money or whatever it is. So where, where do those things still, you know, exist for you? Okay, so that is a very powerful topic and your listeners will get so much help from that one particular thing. Let's unpack that. So yes, I was born into extreme scarcity. My biological mother um, experienced a lot of scarcity. And so even before I was born, her body experienced tension with me in it that was poverty-driven, scarcity-driven. So I was born into the world knowing scarcity as a normal thing. So when you go now into my foster home where there wasn't a lot, but there was also scarcity. It was be careful not to drink too much water. Uh, be careful not to open a refrigerator that many times. Be careful. Um, your scarcity mentality is very deep, right? It's in, drilled into you. So there's two ways people um, deal with their upbringing. They either run towards it or they run away from it. Either way, they still have to deal with it. So the first thing with me is once I got to Wall Street, uh, I was making a really extraordinary amount of money. No, I wasn't a salesperson and no, I wasn't a trader, but in middle office, uh, being a brown skinned girl from Jamaica, making 80 something thousand dollars a year straight out of college is a lot of money, right? And this is a long time ago. And plus all the benefits that I had, I barely ever had to spend most of my money except for rent because they constantly gave us food and all this stuff. So you felt you felt you felt like you hit the jackpot compared. I felt to- like I hit the jackpot. Remember, my biological mother didn't even qualify to get a visa, let alone clean the floor at Credit Suisse First Boston. And here I was, you know, I was surrounded by and then all this money and all this stuff. So scarcity, back to that, how I re- reacted to it. I felt the imposter syndrome now was I don't deserve all of this. Because what am I going to do with all this money? You don't need, nobody needs to have all this money is the first thing in my head. So I started to find ways to get rid of it. I didn't know that at the time, right? Now I know because I'm trained at this, but I didn't know at the time. So I find ways to get rid of it. How do I find ways to get rid of it? Um, Give it away, right? I started to think about who else needed this this money more than I did. I started to think who else needed more help. So, of course, because my mentality was of such, my energy was aligned with my mentality. And here comes all the users and abusers of my finances, whether it was my biological mother constantly needing something that she didn't need, or whether it was someone needed me to pay their mortgage or pay their car note or pay their thing, or my my sister needed me to take care of all of her children. Another way I did it was I never really had good shoe to wear. I don't know if I told you this story in our first conversation, but um, when I was in foster home, they kind of gave me whatever shoe they had. When you're when you don't have a lot of money, shoe is expensive, right? And so you have maybe one pair of shoe or two pair of shoe. Typically for me, it was one, and it was a shoe that you wear to school and you wear to church or you wear to an outing, right? And so a friend of theirs was coming from America and brought a pair of shoe, and because they're so scarcity driven, 
it was like the shoe couldn't fit me, but it was a, a new shoe, newish. And so they weren't going to say no. The answer is always yes. When you're scarcity driven, you take everything, even if you, even if it's not good for you. So you say yes to things you should say no to. So they were teaching me at a young age that I should always accept things, even if it's not a good fit for me. And do you feel like you've transcended that or is that still a struggle? Uh, it was a struggle for a long time. And that's, that's how I actually came up with my program. So I actually didn't transcend that I ended up in a toxic relationship um, that was abusive, where I lost all of my finances. In fact, I went in a cycle for several times, I had this three cycles several times, I had it when I was on Wall Street, I had it at Ernst & Young. And I had it when I started my own set of businesses, where my company was making an extraordinary amount of money, multiple six figures generated millions of dollars, bringing home profitable, multiple six figures, I had nothing to show at the end of the year, nothing. I went to school for finances, I went to school for accounting, I went to school for strategy, and I could not keep a $1,000 a month after all the money I was making. And let me go to the next point. So what happened is I had to realign what is my mindset? What is my, my mindset was scarcity. So because my mindset was scarcity and you know what, um, one way you can deal with it is to hoard, right? Um, my next thing was my next level before I get to where I am right now was hoarding. So now I was living on way less than I need. I was putting everything in the bank and guess what? I was saving for a rainy day. Guess what? A rainy day happened. And so all of it, I lost all of it. So scarcity drove me in two extremes. But what I've learned is you cannot control what you cannot control and you cannot manage what you cannot manage, but you can control what you can control. And three things we need to know, right, when we're dealing with scarcity mindset is how much do I really need to feel secure? And whether it's love, whether it's money, um, whether it's airspace or environment. Next thing is what do I need to feel independent? Because independence is just the next level above security. And then the, um, after that is how much do I really need to feel free, right? If you know what you need for security, if you're in a relationship, or you're starting a business, let's focus on business. You're starting a business and you know that your business needs to generate at least $5,000 a month to cover your expenses, to cover your living and to keep going. That's your security, right? Plus you need a little bit more in case you don't have the same number of clients the following month. That's your security. Independence means now I can make a little bit more to scale the business a little bit, maybe hire somebody else so I can take on more clients, maybe do a little bit of marketing so I could, when I know those numbers, I'm not worried when someone gets on the phone with me, if they're not a good fit, I'm not going to accept them because I know my numbers. So I can get on the phone with a client who is not my ideal client and say to them, Hey, I think you have some great problems here. I'd love to be able to solve them. However, based on what you want and based on what I serve, I don't think we're a good fit. I can give you some referrals and hopefully that works out and I can give you some pointers that you could use in the meantime. And it's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, I, I, I also coach like you do. And uh, I find that the, when you have, when you're in abundance, whether it's you have enough money or you have enough clients or whatever, that's when you get to be selective. That's when you get to go, you know, those five clients are good for me. This client doesn't make me happy or I don't think I can serve them. And I'm good enough financially where I can just say I can release them basically. Yes. I love what you're saying. Um, when you're in abundance, you typically are more flexible. You're more free. You have the privilege of saying no. However, you can also begin to choose the abundance mindset. So for instance, 
when I started this whole approach to abundance, I didn't really have it all together. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't have all the right clientele. I actually was underpricing myself. And when I started to meditate and do more practice and journaling and um, do more self-awareness and self-centeredness around abundance, I started to realize I was undercharging. And because I was undercharging, I was getting clients who would not have otherwise qualified to, to deal with me. And so I was over serving. And abundance is really about how much energy are you given in exchange for value. And if you have way more energy than you are accepting value, you're also in scarcity because you're blocking the flow of money is currency. You're, you're not valuing yourself, essentially. Right. right. Yeah. And, and since money is currency, it's kind of like you're creating a bottleneck. Right. And so you're giving out more than you get in and, and there's a bottleneck and you're not able to grow. You're not able to scale. And the people who you're really meant to serve are not getting you at all because some of your ideal clients, they will not come down to the bottom to get to you. You're going to have to level up to get to them. Now, um, part of the way you coach, I mean, obviously you're coaching the person, but you also work with people on their finances, whether it's their savings or their mindset around money or their investment strategy. Uh, correct. That's correct. So yeah. my, my life architect and business architect, I call it business architect alchemy. I've actually, I have C-suite clients who are actually managing partners in financial institution who do not have great relationship with their money because, you know, we're trained to help everyone. We're trained to fix other people's problem we have not been prepared to deal with our own stuff. And so a lot of them, it goes back to, I, do, I deal with a lot with mindset, even though it's business coaching and business consulting and finance, it goes back to mindset. Whatever we really believe is what we're manifesting. Yeah. And a lot of my clients, they have imposter syndrome. Do I really need all this money? I have a client that she makes um, 750 something thousand dollars after taxes, like somewhere in that range. And to be honest, she really only needs $4,500 a month because of how she lives. And she gets rid of most of her money every single month. It was almost like I met my twin uh, because she's, she has so many foundations in her old country that she's given to, so many churches that she's given to, so many organizations, so many um, orphanages. She just feels like I don't need all this money. And I'm teaching her now. It's not that you need all this money, but if your heart really is that big and you really want to help people, why don't you let that money go out and work for you and create more children and grandchildren and then send those out to and, serve. and build a foundation, use that money to make a foundation and you can have a permanent impact. So I'm going to pivot here for a second. This is all really fascinating. I'm going to pivot to a quote um, that I picked out for you. I always pick out a quote for my, um, my guests. I've never quoted a Pope, but this is from Pope Francis. So there you go. You know, <laughs> uh, these things become the norm that some homeless people die of cold on the street is not news. In contrast, a 10 point drop on the stock market of some cities is a tragedy. A person dying is not news, but if the stock market drops 10 points, it is a tragedy. Thus, people are disposed of as if they were trash. So I, I, I picked that quote because I thought of you, given that you were homeless, you've transitioned to having money, wealth building be part of your strategy to help people. And I'm wondering how you feel about that 
comment about kind of the disposable nature of people as opposed to the importance we put on money? Okay, I mean, look at our current environment, right, that we're in right now, COVID-19, best example. Uh, You know, a lot of persons' strategy as to how to pivot with COVID-19 has been whether or not people were important enough, right? And COVID has taught us that people are way more important than we've ever thought they were before. So what he said is, um, is, you know, sarcastic in a sense, it's factual, it's true, is that we actually value markets, we value points on a market, we value, um, you know, profitability and margins more than we value people. And it's because you only need a certain amount of people to get things done. And if you notice right now, the world that we're in, they're constantly looking to create AI, not to make our lives better, not to make the world better, but to get rid of the amount of people that they would have to pay so that they can increase the level of profitability. Yeah. We're not looking at how we can manage the greenhouse gases to make the world a better place. We're looking at how we can continue to manufacture the things to create more jobs, not thinking that instead of trying to find the old way to manage the old things, why can't we create new ways to create more opportunities? Again, it's the mindset. I love that. So I, I also have a stat uh, that kind of ties into this whole conversation. And before I share the stat with you, I'll just share that, you know, look, I'm, I'm fortunate or I've worked hard. You know, I'm, I'm in the top 1%, whatever. Uh, and, and one of the things I notice when I communicate with people who have a different political slant that I do is they're like, yeah, you might not like the current president, but you know, how's your 401k? You hear that all the time. How's your 401k? And I'm like, yeah, my 401k is doing great, but I I don't, I don't care about that. I'd rather have my 401k doing less well, if that was even a requirement, if it would help more people. If my 401k did 10% worse, back to the quote from the Pope, if my 401k was doing 10% worse, but more people um, we're doing well, I'd feel better about that. And so the quote is, and I, I just find this so ironic when so many people who don't even have a stock portfolio are saying, yeah, but the stock market's doing great. So Gallup said last year, 55% of Americans have any stock. So that means 45% of Americans have zero stock portfolio. And yet the vast majority of the people who are you know, supporting the current president, you know, they'll they'll point to that as a reference point, like, hey, well, look how great the stock market's doing. But yeah, it's not even benefiting you. So right. what do you, what's your take on all that? I mean, if we go back and we just look at even just this debate that happened this week, 10 people in the room of 10 perspective, and we're all seeing the same exact thing, but the mind is filtering at different levels. So the person, the 45%, for instance, a woman answered a question where they said, how do you feel about the fact that a president only paid $750 in taxes? This woman lost her job at the start of COVID. COVID that could have been avoided or minimized. And she said, well, what he does with, with his money is none of my business. Well, this is the person or taxes pay for him to be in the White House. And if our taxes is paying him to and all of his family members and all of his family members' family member to be in the White House, then why shouldn't he be held accountable um, to pay taxes? It has nothing to do with um, the fact that they're conscious thinkers. Yeah. It's a sheep mentality. Yeah. It is, if you tell these people that they're 1% higher than another set of people, even if you told them they had to cut off their foot, as long as they're 1% higher. So these are the anti-everything. They're the anti 
whatever race, anti-whatever religion, anti-whatever thought process. And so they've taken a position that as long as you told me that I'm better on the totem pole, whether it's richer on the totem pole or because of my color or because of my race or because of my origin, that I'm better than these people. I'm going to take a position with you because hate is more powerful for me. And my prejudices are more powerful in my belief system than healing this world. I, um, I, you'll, you'll be happy to know, I think, that I, uh, I took a look at an article you were interviewed in in uh, Black Enterprise oh. <laughs> magazine uh, from two years ago. And there's a cu- couple things I wanted to reference from there. One is a quote from you that says, there are fundamental needs and desires that all human beings share and strive to attain through their jobs and careers. However, what we all truly crave is to have an extraordinary quality of life, which can be defined differently for each of us. So talk to us a little bit about how you, how you choose to define that. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that for me is I identify what's my needs, right? What's my going back to um, what is my security, right? So for me, because I'm a single mom, my need is to provide and protect my little children first, right? So that's the basic, basic thing. And that's a fundamental thing. Are my children safe? Can I educate them? Can I um, provide food for them? Can I give them a basic living experience? For some of my clients, their fundamental need is significance, right? They want to have a platform where they can tell people a story, where they can teach, where they can help, where they can serve. They want to be seen and heard. And so it's significance. For some of my clients, it's love. They want to be in a relationship where they're seen, heard, and appreciated and validated. And so even in their job, even if it's at their job, they want to be seen, heard, and validated. And so they find a job that will do that. They find a community, a group, whatever ways that they can do that. And for other persons, it's constant growth. You know what I mean? Um, what's happening in the world right now for that person who wants growth is saying, how can I be a better person? How can I read more books so I can listen better, so I can speak better, so I can address these things so we never get back to 2020 again? Because we didn't get here overnight. We came huh. here by a collection of decisions or indecisions. So fundamental is different for a person depending on what their specific human need is. So let me ask you, um... Do you find with all the different people you've worked with that there, there is some common threads? Cause you just explained how diverse some of the things are, but are there, is there any commonalities? You're like, you know, almost you know, 90% of my clients, you know, they're all dealing with this or they're seeking this. I would say imposter syndrome is something that is consistent with all of my clients. They're all phenomenal achievers and yet they somehow struggle with the idea that they deserve love or struggle with the idea that they deserve the money that they have or struggle with the idea that they deserve the significance they want or struggle with the idea that they can ever find someone who will ever be at the level um, of respect and care and or struggle with the idea that they can build the business and keep it that way and keep scaling it, right? So it's the imposter syndrome of am I good enough to attract, uh, attain, maintain and scale what it is that I desire. So how do you you walk someone through the am i enough because that's really all you're like if you boiled it all down it's like am i enough like we've all asked that question i've asked myself that question many many times during my life so how do you walk a client through and you know finding their answer to yes i am enough 
Okay, so I'll give you an example pertaining to a client who was launching a new um, coaching business. And um, she was like, well, people are going to say all of a sudden I'm a coach, all of a sudden I'm doing this. How is that going to work? She came to me to start a coaching business. So I said, okay, write your list of accomplishments from your child all the way until now. I said, the minute you came out, did your mom give you an award? I want to know from then all the way till now, what have you done? What have you accomplished? Who have you helped? What have you fixed? What have you learned? What have you taught? What have you given? What have you created? What have you failed at? You know, because even that is an accomplishment, right? Um, Because it meant that you did something to be able to fail at it. And so when we write it out, she began to see that what she wants to do she started a counseling. She is trained counselor. Uh, she started a women's foundation. She actually has been helping families bridge the gap between broke, when there was broken homes. She actually um, got her first contract to help uh, teach and other uh, person, which was actually coaching. So, you know, long story short, when she began to look at what she had gone through at her journey, she realized she didn't just happen stands here. She didn't just arrive here. Her journey and her trajectory, every single detail, the failures, the loss, the wins, the celebrations, and the things that were hidden that many people didn't know were all carrying her to the place where she was. She had earned the spot. In it, made her, it made her not an imposter. Not, it, she, her, she, right. it was the opposite of the imposter she thought she was. I really, I really identify with that. It reminds me of, uh, I don't want to give away my age. No, I don't care. But, uh, you know, I, I went <laughs> to my, It doesn't matter. Tell us. <laughs> thank you. I'm 55, but I went to my, Woo-hoo! let's say my 30-year-old, my 30-year uh, high school uh, reunion and, uh, you know, you talk to people you haven't talked to for years and years and you kind of, well, what have you been up to? And I, I kind of went through all the bullet points of like, well, I was in New York and I did this and I worked for that magazine and then I was an actor and then I was in, I went through my whole thing and, and, and people's response to my life journey was so much, um, they were so impressed with it as opposed to, I was like, really? Like, you know, that's yeah. just kind of what I did, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal, but to when I, when I would allow in others uh, perspective on my journey, I, it, it helped me kind of see like, Oh, well, maybe I have, maybe I'm not an imposter. Maybe I have earned where I'm at. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story. My favorite story in the alchemist about when the, when the, um, the herder got to the palace and he was so excited to go around the palace. So there's two points to the story, the point when he's excited and he goes and he's given a um, thing in his hand and he doesn't recognize it. And so he's just enjoying all of you like, oh my God, wow, wow, wow. And he's just going through life. That was you. I was in New York and I did acting and I did this and I did that and I did this, but you weren't paying attention to the oil that you carried. Right. And then when he goes back and he says, um, the, the, the king says to him, well, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you learn? And he goes, I I was just taking in everything. And he says, well, this time when you go on the journey, make it a point that when you you are enjoying that you're carrying the oil. And the second time he missed a lot of things because he was so careful about carrying the oil. Mm -hmm. So the balance why I created my business and called it business architect alchemy was that we are creating things, but you must make it a point to balance, enjoying the moment, and then paying careful attention to the oil or the anointing that you carry. I love that. And I love that book. I was very uh, proud that my 16-year-old son asked if he could read that off my bookshelf. So I was like, all right. All right. Uh, I like yeah. that. So, so I, I have a closing question for you, and that is also in your article, 
that was in um, uh, Black Entrepreneur, you talk about paying it forward. Was you know you had you had multiple points you know about businesses and you know choices around taking risk and all that, but paying it forward was the thing that kind of I grabbed for the point of this interview. So what does that mean to you? Paying it forward is what I am doing right now. My life is paying it forward. So I didn't just go through the experiences that I had. You know, I actually wrote a quote today on my Instagram because someone's, um, I told you, someone's uh, mother-in-law was experiencing a lot of trauma. And when he heard that the first session, what the first session was like, he actually messaged me right away um, with tear emoji saying, thank you so much. Her first experience with you was mind blowing. Um, She cannot believe that one person, one session did this. And then I wrote, walking in my purpose, that's my life, is painted forward. You know, after uh, four years ago, I came into the awareness that past trauma, past pain, were not designed to destroy me. It was actually preparing me, bringing me into awareness so I could empathize and feel and and begin to assimilate with environment and with people and with association so that I could serve them at the level that they needed me. So that I could become the person to say, hey, there's a pothole down there. There's pain there. There's, there's a rainbow over that section over there. There's daffodils down the road. There's things, oh, by the way, there's water there. I know you're thirsty now, but if you just keep going one more moment, don't shut down your business just yet. I know you just failed and you feel like you're going to lose your marriage, but I promise you, if you just come out of your head and live in your heart and feel what you're feeling in this moment, recognizing that you do have the anointing not to break, not to die, but to build it greater. And when you're finished, you're going to pay it forward. That's beautiful. I love that. That's a, I couldn't think of a, a better way to end our, our talk. I really uh, enjoyed uh, what you shared today. I know our listeners did as well. Tell us how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your coaching program. Awesome. Uh, so persons can go to my link tree. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee forward slash winning natalie that's w-i-n-n-i-n-g n-a-t-a-l-i-e and they can follow me on instagram i'm mostly active on instagram and that's at winning natalie and um, my name is spelled n-a-t-a-l-i-e so winning as in it's still happening it's affirming and um they can you know on my link tree there are links for them to book free call and i've also created a lot of free resources to help them with their finances prosperous relationships and just to create space for healing in such a toxic time i love it i love it you're 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 bringing exactly what we all need right now so thanks for being part of clear choices today uh this was another episode of clear choices and uh not to uh even try to compete with Natalie Taylor, but also if you're interested in my coaching programs, you can reach out to me at rob at robeigner.com or go to the website at clearchoices.live. Natalie Taylor, a pleasure to meet you today. My pleasure to meet you also. Take care. you age beautifully. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. 
Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.